Good evening. How are we doing tonight? Is it cold enough for everybody outside? It's nice and warm inside though, right? I think the heat's on. If not, if it gets cold, Kirk, just turn the heat on. We're going to figure it out. Well, as always, let us begin with prayer. <clears throat> In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God, we give praise and thanksgiving to you for this day, for this opportunity to gather again as a community of faith, seeking to grow in our understanding of what it means to be a person of faith in the midst of a community of faith. Be with us this evening. Help us to hear your words. Help us to embrace your truth. Watch over all of our catechists this evening and all of our students, adult and children alike. We ask all these things in your son's name, and we pray together in the words that our Savior gave us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So tonight will be our final class on faith. Not our final class, but our final class on faith. Um, obviously, we will not have class next week because the majority of us will be with family. Most of us will be cooking. I will be watching football because that's what I do for holidays. Um, but many of us <clears throat> are going to have that opportunity next week to be with family. So take that opportunity, please, um, to be with your family. But also, um, maybe use that as an opportunity to take some of the things that we've been taught throughout this year so far, how do we put those things into practice. Maybe have an opportunity to pray together on Wednesday evening as a family, even though we don't come together as a class. Maybe something to look at. Uh, the following Wednesday on November 30th, uh, we'll have class, but it'll be a little bit different. Uh, we've got two speakers coming from the city um, who'll be doing what's called a goodwill clinic. Um, and so um, a lot of the parishes in the diocese are having these two guys come out. One of them, his name is uh, Owen Canfield. Um, he's actually the, the father of one of the guys I went to high school with. Uh, the other gentleman's name is Tony Gallier. Um, he helps people prepare their wills and do last things. Um, you may think, you know what, Father, we're too young for that, we're too old for that, we've already got it taken care of. You're never too young. You can never ask too many questions. Uh, so we'll have that happen in two Wednesdays. Please continue to show up for that. Uh, we'll have that probably in here. We may have it in the uh, multipurpose room, depending on how many people show up um, and what um, facilities they need for it. Um, but that'll give me an opportunity to hang out with the kids that night. So we go to the different classrooms that night uh, when Owen and... Um, Tony are here. But uh, one of the things <clears throat> that we forget about many times is we're going to die. I know I talk about it a lot because the world tells you do everything you can to not have to even hear, let alone mention the word death. We're going to die. How do we properly, faithfully prepare for it for ourselves, but also for our families? Uh, one of the things that my dad did for us doesn't surprise me when I look back but it baffled me in the moment. My dad wrote each and every one of us, siblings and my mom, a letter in the event of his untimely death. Now, this was written four years before he actually got sick and went to the hospital. And so from that, I know <clears throat> when I talk with families about last things, dad was 62. He wasn't very old. And with COVID and all of these different diseases going around, it can take 
any moment of any day, the Lord can call us home. So how do we prepare not just ourselves, but our families for us not to be here anymore? Um, so dad, as I said, wrote letters, gave them to mom. She put them up somewhere. Um, in fact, when I was talking about the COVID that I had three weeks ago and how bad it had hit me, I was this close to writing letters to the staff just in case I didn't make it. Not out of a morbid curiosity or a morbidity, but of a what things have I left unsaid how do I make sure that they know that I love them, that I knew that they knew that I appreciated them? It's the same thing for family. How do we take care of, if you're married, how do you take care of your spouse in their grief in that moment? Sometimes having a handwritten letter makes a big difference. So much so that in my family, <clears throat> when dad died, they even created a whole hashtag, which is a millennial thing. They created a hashtag, hashtag love like Clyde, Clyde being dad's name. And they found those three words, love, like, Clyde, in his handwriting. And them, plus one of the teachers that worked for dad and my cousin, all got tattoos in my dad's writing that said, love, like, Clyde. My brother got this beautiful uh, Celtic cross over his heart, and it says, love, like, Clyde. Um, one of the teachers at McGinnis actually got it, it says, hashtag, love, like, Clyde. It's like, oh, nice, I like it. But it's what things can we leave as something for our family members? Because one of the things we have to remember, when we, and this all kind of helps to encapsulate what we've been talking about the last few weeks when we talk about faith. When we are on our faith journey, you're never journeying alone. To truly investigate and grow in your faith, we have to remind ourselves that we are never on this journey by ourselves. Yes, Christ is with us, and your spouses and your family members are with us, but also as a member of the community of faith, <clears throat> your community is here with you as well. So when you get sick, when something happens, so I've got really bad brains. <clears throat> I hate allergy season, which is 24-7, 365. But faith really requires a context of a community that we help each other to live, we help each other to grow there's that old scientific saying, there's no growth in a vacuum, so like attracts like, right? So if we are just the same as everyone around us, we don't have the opportunity for growth. But as members of the community of faith, we have the ability to call each other to task. In fact, Christ and St. Paul both speak of this in the New Testament when they talk about something called fraternal correction. How do we deal with members of the faithful and help them to get back on that corrected path? Well, first, go to them in private and let them know, hey, I don't know if you realize this, but when you do this, it affects people. And then if that doesn't work, take someone else with you and say, hey, we recognize that you are doing this and it's hurting not only you, but the community around you. And if that doesn't work, then you escalate up. The problem is <clears throat> we live in a society today where we skip over step one and step two and go right to the highest authority that we can. You call the boss, you call the priest, you call the bishop. In fact, I had uh, one of our um, inmates that I was working with, um, because I wasn't able to get back to him soon enough, he contacted the, what, what is he? It's not basically the secretary for the Pope in the United States um, to then contact me and say, hey, Father, this guy wants to become Catholic. I know, I'm working on it. I'm just not doing it as fast as he wants me to. We're getting there. We're getting there. Um, but he's the guy that calls, like, if someone's going to be named the new bishop, 
that's who this guy is. And so I get this email from him. It's thinking, oh, no. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> because that's like getting your boss's 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 boss, just shy of the Pope, sending you an email saying, Father, take care of this. We many times go to that extreme, but instead, how can we, <clears throat> as members of the community, correct each other? Now, by correcting each other, I'm not saying point out each other's faults. There's a difference in that, because Christ speaks of that as well. He says, before you worry about the sliver in your neighbor's eye, take the beam from your own eye. In fact, many times I've found in my own life, the things that people do that drive me the most crazy, drive me the most crazy because I do the same thing. Anybody else find that? Only one other person? Man. Well, I know for me, like attracts like, and we tend to frustrate the heck out of each other. And so <clears throat> when we have people <clears throat> acting faithfully and people not acting faithfully, how do we call them to task in a loving manner? Just like in the Code of Canon Law, it says all of these things are meant to pr bring us to justice, but justice tempered with mercy. It's not about going around and being the liturgical police or going around and being the church police. We don't need any more of that. Believe me, we've got plenty of it. I get emails all the time, not as often as I used to here, but we get, I get emails all the time about this going wrong or this going wrong or this going wrong, and it's like, are you still coming to Mass? Well, no. Go to Mass, and then we can talk about everything else. Um, one of the things that we have to remember as members of the faithful the most important thing that we can do to help grow our community of faith is show up to Mass, showing up, that ministry of presence. In fact, I put out a post this, this morning um, that I've shared before of someone in a football stadium with three inches of snow on them on a Sunday and just a blanket of snow. And in that, there was a quote that says, if only we were that faithful to God we would change the world. It's like, ooh, that hits a little too close to home sometimes because I love my sports. In fact, I, I watch it on my phone on, Wednesday, on Saturdays when I come over here getting ready for confessions before anybody's here. It's the, okay, OU, why are you playing the 2.30 game? OSU, why are you playing the 2.30 game? Notre Dame, why are you playing the 2.30 game? So I'm walking over here, live streaming it and watching it. It comes a little too close to home because when I come in here, I should leave those concerns outside but I struggle with it as well. That's why I mention it. One of the things that I think personally makes me a good priest, not a great priest, but a good priest, I'm willing to be vulnerable. I'm willing to say, guys, I suck a lot. I am not perfect. But on the other side, one of the things that makes me a, not a great priest is I spend so much time focused on those negatives that I don't sometimes see the positive growth that is happening. You notice we have more people in here today than we had the last couple weeks, and new people in here than we had the last couple weeks? That's growth. What did we say three weeks ago? Invite one person, invite one person, invite one person. We are continuing to grow slowly but surely. Invite your husbands, invite your friends, invite whomever, because, and we even talked about this as parish council last night, because it is that important for us as a parish, not about Father Danny talking, but about us as a community of faith being on the same page. And with that thought, how many people, raise your hand just so I can kind of get a number, how many people 
read the bulletin on a weekly basis? Be honest. Okay. How many people that read the bulletin on a weekly basis know that there's a section called Father's Corner? Okay. Those that know there's a section named Father's Corner, how many of you guys actually read Father's Corner? That took a couple out. How many of you guys like any of the things that are in Father's Corner? I don't. They drive me crazy. Dang it. Amy, if you're watching this, you win. No, um, Amy and Katie will say, Father, you have to do those because people are actually reading them and that's where they grow. And it's like, but it's so time consuming. It takes five to ten minutes to write, but it's the sitting down in front of the computer and coming up with something to come up with. But those are small snippets that we can use on a weekly basis as members of the faithful to take something from church and bring it out in the community with us. We are connected in the 21st century like never before. I was reminded of that this last week when I was talking to my mom about her time in the Air Force. She was in Turkey at her early time in the Air Force, and she got to write a letter home every week. She got to make one phone call in the year she was there, home. One phone call. And that was to call her parents and say, hey, I just got engaged. They didn't know she was dating. Today, I can pop open my phone and look at my family. In fact, we do that every Sunday as a family across the nation and get together and have a family rosary that we literally have this ability to catechize with anybody we want to at the touch of a button. But we many times don't want to utilize that for good. How much time do we spend wasting on our technology that we could actually utilize as a positive thing in technology? Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. What do we go there for? For me, I have to clear out, this is one of my OCDs, I have to clear out notifications. Is anybody else like that where you can't see that little red number? If you do, you have to clear them out immediately. Don't care what they say. That's why if I skip over someone's email, I apologize. I had to get rid of the notification. Just one of my struggles I have, working on it. But how can we, as members of the faith, look at the gifts that God has given to us and the progress that we have in the 21st century, and how do we utilize it for the good? How can we take these things that Satan has just invested completely in, and instead of embracing that, preach the good news? COVID, ironically, in the midst of this horrible plague that we've been in for the last two and a half years, gave us so many opportunities to see that social media could be a gift. I'd never considered ever live-streaming anything before COVID. I've talked about that before. And in fact, the last Sunday that we had before the world shut down and the churches closed down, I told my parishioners when I was at Corpus Christi and St. Robert Bellarmine and Jones, I said, if for whatever reason the the churches closed, I didn't think it was ever a possibility, if they close, watch TV on EWTN. That's what we got church closed on Monday. It's like, oh crap, this is a reality. What do we do? So I pull out my phone and messing around and what's this live button on Facebook? Let me play around with this. And I had a Facebook live video of a mass. And I had 1,600 people <laughs> tune into it. 
because it was a daily mass and nobody knew what was going on. And it's like, oh my gosh, why do I have so many views? And then I realized 15 of them were brother priests. Like, how do you do this? So then we had, by the end of 2020, end of 2021, we had live streaming masses at like 70% of our parishes, I think, where I still get notifications every Sunday morning from St. Andrews, Corpus Christi, um, St. Robert Bellarmine from here, um, and from the two seminaries I went to. Because they still live stream their masses and now live stream morning and evening prayer at uh, Conception Seminary and St. Meinrad, the two seminaries I went to. So it's still out there as a possibility, <clears throat> but we've turned away from it. Now, I want to make sure that you hear this. Live streaming mass does not replace coming to mass. Live streaming mass is not the same as coming to mass. I live streamed mass twice during that time because one of the beauties of being a priest, I don't have to live stream. I can go celebrate wherever, whenever I want to. So I did. But I wanted to invite people into it. The two times I wasn't able to were the two most difficult times as a priest to not be able to celebrate mass. Tuesday of Holy Week is when the priests from the diocese all get together, and the faithful from the diocese all get together for the Chrism Mass. It's where all of the oils are blessed for that next year. That's where we get the three oils that are back there on the Ambry. We get those every year at that Mass. But also, during that Mass, we as priests renew our promises that we made on the day of our ordination. I had to do that from my couch. It sucked. There's no better way to put it, especially because the live stream of the diocese went out like in the middle of it. So I had to text the guy that was in charge of it. What other stream is it there out there? Because we're in the middle of our promises. I want to make sure to make these. <laughs> I had to then switch over to the, to the cathedral's live stream because they were having internet issues. And how many times have we had internet issues? Eric can attest. <laughs> Sometimes the internet goes down. We are in western Oklahoma. You never know what you're going to get. Sometimes, even for myself in my house, my internet's gone out in the middle of praying the rosary. I have to text my family, sorry guys, I can't come in because my dad is not working and my Wi-Fi is not working. But how many times does it work? How many times could it work? If we're sick, I popped in to the Sunday morning mass the weekend I had COVID. Why? I wanted to make sure everything was going well, first of all. Two, for those that were online, I want to let them know that I'm okay, I'm in bed, but I'm okay, I'm not dead, and to pray for people, to be part of it. But that doesn't substitute ever coming to Mass. We, we've used it as a crutch for such a long time, to the point where the diocese this past June has asked that as soon as Mass is done live streaming, take it off the site. Because we had gotten so convenient with it that people would watch it whenever they wanted to throughout the week, and that counts for my Sunday obligation. Again, we are not obligation checkers. <laughs> if we are, that's where we are now. How do we move past that? That's a place to start, but how do we grow through that? So yes, showing up for Mass is the most important thing that we can do as a member of the community of faith, but also 
as an individual seeking to grow our faith. It's sacrificing something. What, what is it that we're called to sacrifice in our lives? Well, everything. In fact, Christ multiple times in Scripture says, once you put your hand to the plow, don't look back. Go off, sell everything that you have, and then come and follow me. Now, I'm not telling you that you have to live as hermits. I'm not telling you to go sell everything. I'm saying just show up for Mass on Sunday. And I realize I'm preaching the choir. Whether it's here or in Clinton, because we don't have a Mass in Spanish currently. Lo siento. Tratando de trabajar sobre esto, pero ahora no tenemos miso en español. But wherever it is that we come for Mass, when we aren't there, you may not notice it. I may not even notice it, though I normally do. God always notices. And that's not a guilt. That is a challenge for us. How many things in our lives are we not willing to miss? Those are things, then, that we have prioritized over our relationship with God if we choose to miss Mass. That's when it's like, ooh, that's a tough one, Father. I will never miss a football game. I will never miss a, a, a recital. I will never miss a concert. I will never miss a whatever it is, fill in the blank. Now, work, there are some things that because you have to provide for your family, there are some things to try and work around, but the best you can, come on Saturday, come on Sunday. It's easier to say in the city because in the city they've got masses four, five, and six on Saturday, beginning at 6.30 in the morning on Sunday, every half hour until 6 p.m. on Sunday. Much easier to make it to Mass in person in the city. I, 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 I'm not going to lie about that. We have three opportunities here, three opportunities in Clinton, and we've got five opportunities in Woodward and their parish cluster. I think each parish south of us, Mangum, Hobart, and Hollis, have one. But that's 100 miles in every direction. I understand but how can we, if for work or whatever things are going on, how can we do the best that we can with what hand we're dealt? And that's what God is asking us to do because that faith, when a member of the community isn't present, it's like saying, I don't need my middle finger today. Now, I never need my middle finger to flip anybody off, but I need it to hold things. Or I don't need my thumb today. If you ever talk on your phone... What is the number one fingers you use? Your thumbs. If you're a millennial, at least, because we, we do the double, double thing, thumb thing. Even if you don't, even if you're picking, we need those things because they help us to function better in society. Genuine faith, though, requires a deep awareness that God cannot be separated from other people. What does Christ tell us when he talks about the two great commands? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. In Luke chapter 6, verse 33 to 35, it says, If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For every sinner does the same. Even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much gain. But love your enemies, do good, and lend expecting nothing in return. 
that as members of the faithful, when we are not acting out of love and charity towards each other, we're also then not acting in love and charity towards God. That's where it kind of hits home for a lot of us. Because we have people in our family, in our community of faith, in our work environment that we don't get along with. But we're still called to treat them with love. We're still called to have mercy on them, not because they deserve it, but because God has mercy on us. This is a really difficult thing for many of us in the world today. I struggle with this a lot. In fact, just on Sunday night, I got into a fight with my family, and I was so furious in the middle of the rosary. As we're praying for people, I am so just, ugh, because I'm angry. Things didn't go how I thought they should go. No, I didn't say anything hateful towards them. I did what I found for myself as the best. I stepped away. Again, this was over a Zoom call, so you can't really step away, but I muted myself and turned my camera off. They're like, are you okay? I'm good. I don't want to talk right now. I'm just going to pray over here by myself. Because sometimes we need to figure out how do we manage when we're upset and angry. Never go to bed angry. Because it gives Satan an opportunity to work on you when you sleep. I have a blessing and a curse of being a very vivid dreamer. I see colors, I see people, I have conversations in dreams, so much so that I can wake up and, and like finish the conversation, like, but that's when I like, want to alter it how I want it to go. Rarely does it actually go how I want it to go, but I remember those things, and many times I can go back and say, okay, where did this person come from? I haven't thought about them in five or ten years. Why were they in my dream? And so I've started this practice. If it's someone that I haven't thought about, talked to, whatever, in 3, 5, 10, 15 years, and we're friends on Facebook, because that's normally how Facebook works, people that have been from our past life that are there, I have gotten into the practice of reaching out, for them, out to them and saying, hey, I don't know what's going on in your life, but I feel like I need to reach out to you and let you know that I love you and God loves you. I had a dream about you last night, and I just want to make sure everything's okay. There's been a couple times where I've actually had people respond and say, I am so glad that you contacted me. I'm having a crap day. I'm having a crap month. I'm having a whatever. Or my mom just died, or my sister just got sick, or just got arrested, or whatever it may be. Because just as much as Satan can work on us in our subconscious, so can the Lord if we invite him in. But I do have to be honest, there are some times where I go to bed probably not in the best mood. I know many of us have that angry moment. Like, I'm just going to go to sleep. First of all, I can't normally fall asleep angry because my mind keeps racing and I'm up for hours. Fall asleep. But when I do finally, Satan finds the exact right buttons to push every time. There have been many times where I've woken up and I'm just gritting my teeth and just shaking because I'm so mad about what happened in my dream that isn't reality. That there have been times where when I wake up, I will see the person that was in my dream that frustrated me 
And that anger sometimes carries over because that's what Satan wants to happen. And when I see that happen in my life, I have to stop and say, like, wait a second, <laughs> where's this coming from? First question I ask myself, when was the last time I went to confession? Second, time I ask, second thing I ask my, myself is, did I remember to pray before I went to bed? And if those are in the last three to five days and last night, then I go a little deeper and start to ask more questions because any time that I'm angry, it's not from God. It's from either my pride or it's from Satan attacking me. Normally it's my fault <laughs> because something happened the way I didn't want it to happen. And so then I have to take that step back and say, how do I deal with this? Normally I go to confession. My confessor, though, lives in Ada. So sometimes I will call Father Kelly. Sometimes I call Father Bala in Clinton Weatherford. Sometimes I'll, I'll call Father Foshi in Ada and we will meet in the city, which is a two-hour drive for both of us, so that we can have that ability to go to confession because we understand, because we've been ordained together, we've been on this journey together as brothers in Christ, not only Danny's necessity for the sacrament, but also Father Danny's necessity for the sacrament. Yes, I realize that I'm the same in both of those, but I know for myself to grow as a person, if I allow myself to remain in my sin, I am not pleasant to be around. In fact, that's like some people that give up coffee for Lent. If you're addicted to coffee, do not give it up for Lent, please. For the love of God, don't give it up. Because it's supposed to be your penance and not everybody's around you. Just saying. I'm not addicted to coffee, but I probably do have a caffeine addiction. I love my diet soda. That's why I'm not drinking diet soda tonight. I'm drinking fruit punch, great value, whatever you put in the water to make a, a flavor. Yes, I realize it's just as bad, but I can't drink just water, it's bland. But it's so important for us when we talk about being a member of the faith and being a member of the community of faith to remember A, that we aren't alone, but B, that we are an integral part of the community. How do we give back to that local community? Whether through our time, our talent, or our treasure. Don't worry, I'm not talking about giving. You're fine. But that is part of one of the questions we have to ask ourselves is, what gifts has God blessed us with? And how are we then called to utilize them for ourselves, for our families, but also for our community of faith? That's why in two weeks, I'm having Owen and Tony come and talk to us. Because that's one of the things that I always thought growing up, everybody, when they die, if they're a member of a church, everybody leaves something for the church, right? They don't. We don't even think about it many times. Like in our wills, it's the, I want to make sure my family's taken care of, and that's important, yes. But especially if you've been tithing for a long time, the parish, when we make our budget, we have to look into that of, well, we had 33 people die last year, and some of them were large donors, so our budget then has to be affixed to that because if they do or don't leave a donation to the parish in perpetuity or a one-time thing, that affects what we can do as a parish. Many people know um, 20 years ago, this church and the rectory wouldn't be possible without Janice Nutley 
who came and gave, I believe, millions of dollars over her time so that we could be the beneficiaries of this facility. And I could be the beneficiary of a beautiful house. I may have some picadillos about some of the specifics, but I've got heat, I've got air, I've got water. Perfect. We're good. But if it weren't for those gifts 50 years ago, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, last weekend, we wouldn't be able to be the beneficiaries today. And so the question then is, how do we, as the community of faith, continue to take care of these things for our children? If you've got infants, if you've got 20-year-olds that have left the faith, if you've got 40-year-olds that haven't graced the door of a church since they were confirmed, it's never too late. I can't tell you the amount of people that I've come into contact with in my life as a priest that the first conversation they say to me, first thing they say to me when, when I say I'm a priest, oh, I was Catholic growing up, or I was Catholic once, or I went to a Catholic school, or I fill in the blank of any of those, and they're doing it to try and push a button normally, because they want to be like, well, why'd you leave the faith? It's like, oh, awesome. They're like, well, don't you want to know why I left? Well, if you want me to know, sure. And so that way they have to then, I make them ask the questions like, yes, I win. No. But we all have struggles with the church because we have struggles with sin, ironically. Because the church is here as the mantle of God's grace, here to preach and speak the truth. The truth. Not a truth. The truth. And if we are steeped in sin, which we all are, at different times in our lives, the last thing we want to hear is the truth. Because if you're presented with the truth and it convicts your heart, you got to do something about it. And many times we don't want to do something about it because that means change, that ugly four-letter word. Yes, I realize there's six letters in it, but we treat it like a four-letter word. Because sometimes in our lives, change is the most necessary thing that we need to grow as a person and to help our community of faith grow. As I said about 15 minutes ago, likeness attracts likeness. If you've ever seen a bushel of oranges or apples, and you take, if they're just beautifully, just perfectly ripe, and you take a rotten apple or a rotten orange and put it in the middle, it'll begin to infect all of the apples and oranges around it. It's the same way with us in a community of faith. But how do we do the reverse? How do we, as members of the faith, allow ourselves to go into a society that is touched by sin, that we are part of, that we participate in that sin, and say, sin no more? Well, this is where a lot of the prophets struggled in Scripture. This is why Christ said a prophet is never welcome in his home. In fact, many of the people in Christ's town, when they found out that it was him out there preaching, said, wait a second, wasn't this Jesus? Isn't he the carpenter's son? We saw what you did as a kid. You're going to preach to me? And that's one of my struggles sometimes as a priest is I have to, remember, I have to remind myself, A, I'm an adult because I still feel like a kid. And B, a lot of people knew me in my adolescence. I was a pain in the rear. 
I understand that. <laughs> but it's hard for them, for some people, to, to see this and this and have them mesh together. That's why the most nervous Mass I've ever celebrated in my life was my first Mass for the faculty at Bishop McGinnis. Because I was a student at Bishop McGinnis in high school where most of us don't do things we should be doing. And so in the middle of that Mass, I'm, I'm reflecting, well, you taught me theology. wish I would have paid more attention in that class. Sister Sanchez, may she rest in peace. She had me um, do her funeral this summer. She always yelled at me, and until the day she died, she would never call me Father Danny. It was always, Danny, come here. Danny, come here. Yes, Sister Sanchez. Could never call her Stephanie. Could never call her by her name. It's always sister. But then I also had to preach to my principal in high school. I had to preach to my vice principal that I had in high school. The only person I ever got in trouble with was her. She became a parishioner. It's like, oh, come on, man. Not only do I have to see you at school, I have to see you at Mass, too. I love you, Miss Hathcote, if you're watching. I was trying to call her Anne, too. But I was put into that situation, and it became home. Because they saw me grow as a person. That is my hope and goal as a pastor, is to make this place as much of a home for everybody that comes in here, that everybody feels welcome. Even if you have struggles with the hierarchy of the church, if you don't like the pope, if you don't like the bishop, if you don't like the bishop's conference, if you don't like me, my hope and fervent prayer is that this will be home for you. That you will feel comfortable always coming here. And it takes all of us to make that happen. I love Christmas. I love Easter. I struggle sometimes at Christmas. <laughs> I struggle sometimes at Easter because we have our Christers that come to Mass. You ever heard that term before, Christer? Christmas and Easter, they come twice a year. Well, we've gone from being Christer Catholics to being Pace Catholics. That's the new, it's at least four times a year now, P-A-C-E, Palm Sunday, Ash Wednesday, Christmas, and Easter. Because a lot of non-Catholics, they want the ashes. They don't know what they mean. I want the ashes on my forehead. Do you know what it's about? I don't care what it's about. I want to, it's, it's that whole FOMO attitude. I don't want to be excluded, fear of missing out. I don't want to miss out. I want to be part of the cool crowd. So much so that the church even began to put it on social media. And they talk about getting your 100%, the worst pun in the world, getting your ash tag like hashtag, but an ash tag. So just like people take selfies of themselves when they go vote with their stickers, people have started on Ash Wednesday taking selfies and putting hashtag, hashtag. It's like, oh my gosh, this is so cheesy. But it got people back to church. So much so that when I was at Corpus Christi, they called me to the Capitol to have an Ash Wednesday service in the chamber room of the capital of Oklahoma. That faith does exist, and we as members of that community cannot allow fear to dictate doing or not doing things. Yes, I realize there's that question, wait, how did the Father get in there? Separation of church and state? Eh, I don't know, let me in. Uh, it helped that the 
um, leader of the Catholic caucus at that time. I was teaching her daughter at McGinnis. Like, yes, winner. Um, but as members of this community, it is crucial for the life of faith that we all come together in a unified front. That if we don't get along, how do we leave that? Not just outside, because that's a fake faith, but how do we leave it outside of our minds, outside of our hearts, so that it doesn't dictate our actions? That's hard to do. It takes a long time to get there. If you figure it out, let me know. (laughs) But as we go along this journey, we're walking down that same aisle together. Christ tells us about walking the straight and narrow. You ever walked a tightrope? You have to walk a straight line. The problem is on a tightrope, you have nobody on your left and on your right. When I envision the straight and narrow that Christ is talking about, I envision, ironically, something about as large as our aisle here. You know the beauty of looking at it that way? There's enough room for someone right here, and someone right here, and someone right here, and someone right here, to remind me that I'm not on this journey by myself. I've got priests pushing me. I've got parishioners pushing me in a positive way, helping me along my own faith journey, so that then I can be the shepherd that God has called me as Father Danny to be for you. But at the same time, I can't become a hypocrite and say, do what I say, not what I do. Don't worry about my life. No, I need you. This is going to be the most dangerous thing I've ever said. I need you as the community of faith to correct me fraternally. Remember we had that whole discussion at the beginning of the conversation. To fraternally correct me when I am authentically in the wrong. Because everything that I choose or try to do is not because I want it that way, but it's because I believe it is what is best for us as a parish, as a community of faith, moving together side by side. There are some things that I will say or do that are going to make people mad. So much so that in the last 36 hours, I have asked six priests between both parishes, about 20 parishioners, what the best schedule for Christmas could be this year. You know Christmas is on a Sunday? That sucks. Because the question is, for our Christian community, what is the best schedule? Do we just keep the normal schedule on Sunday? 5 o'clock at St. Matthew's, 8 a.m. At, uh, at, in Queen of All Saints and Sayer, and 10.30 here? Do we keep that and add a midnight mass? We're doing a midnight mass again, no matter what. Or do we do what we normally do on Christmas, 5 o'clock, 8 o'clock on Christmas Eve, midnight, and then an earlier morning, 8.30, 9 o'clock in the morning on Christmas Day? That's typically, in fact, last year we had 5 o'clock vigil in Sayer, 8 o'clock vigil here, midnight here, and then we had an 8.30 mass here. Some people love that idea. Some people think, Father, it's Sunday, you're going to confuse people. I've had both sides of the argument. I understand both of them. So now I'm trying to figure out, okay, of the 21 people I asked, I had 11 on one side and 10 on the other. So if I say option one, option two people are mad. If I say option two, option one people are mad. Remember that whole damned if you do, damned if you don't thing that we kind of hear all around? So they're like, oh, 
I should have just made a decision and not asked anybody. No, I mean, I want to do what is best for our community. Now, for me, it's the, okay, how do I make it most practical for people? So if we do a five o'clock, do we do the five o'clock in Elk City? Or do we do the five o'clock in, um, in Sayre? Because if we do the five o'clock, the first mass typically is the largest mass because it's always been in Sayre. But if you do it here, does that then help the community in Sayre not have 200 people fit into a church that fits about 105, which we've had in the past because we went with early mass because a lot of people do their Christmas things the evening of Christmas. And then for the Christmas morning, it's the question of, do you have the joint mass or the two masses? If you have the two masses, the later mass is always going to be the empty one because most people what time do the kids get up? What is the order of events? In our household, the babies, who are now in their mid to late 20s, the babies would be up by about 4, 4.30 in the morning and watching a Christmas story in the living room. They'd make coffee for the family. They started making the cinnamon rolls once they got that age. because That was kind of the tradition. Coffee, cinnamon rolls, open up your stocking, sit there and wait until about 6.30, maybe 7, if we're patient, and then, it's Christmas, wake up, would then eventually happen. And then we get up, mimosas, because mimosas, for breakfast, open presents, because we had always gone to Mass at the Vigil and Midnight Mass as a family. So for the families that want to do the early morning thing, having an 8 o'clock Mass may be too early. But if you do a 10 o'clock Mass, then well, that's really brunch time, Father. I mean, we have to make sure that we're out in time so we can do the presents beforehand, have mass, and then make sure we have enough time for brunch that it's not quite lunch and it's not too late that it can run into dinner. You guys think I'm crazy? I cannot tell you how many of these things I've heard in the last couple of years. But those are things that sometimes I struggle with personally is how do I appease the vast majority? The problem is, it doesn't actually exist. When it comes to families, there is no vast majority. Just like if you have three people in the room, you've got four different ideas. If you have 400 families, you've got 470 different traditions. And some of them are going to work for some people. Some of them are going to work for others. And so whatever decision we make for Christmas, please have mercy. I'm not doing it to upset anybody. I'm doing it to work out the best for our community of faith. And that is how we as members of this community grow together. We aren't on this road by ourselves. One of the biggest downfalls for most priests, outside of secluding themselves in loneliness, not being alone, but being lonely, is that they don't collaborate. They don't ask the opinions of the people that they are called to shepherd. I think that is the biggest flaw of many priests that I learned myself in seminary. Because one of the blessings that we got in our diocese in seminary was every summer, we got to go live at a different parish or be at a different assignment. So I had to travel all over the diocese. I was in Duncan, my first summer assignment. They had five parishes. Duncan, Ryan, Warica, Walters, and Marlowe. They had two priests. Well, the second priest got there my first week. I was the chauffeur that got to teach the new priest how to drive. Never got in a wreck. Winner. But I was the chauffeur, so I had to figure out what was going on and realized that one of the communities had six people in it. It is now closed. 
But they were all 45 minutes to an hour away from each other, all spread out. And that's south of us. Well, the next summer, what was I doing the next summer? I gotta remember these things. Then I was at Holy Angels in downtown Oklahoma City, 312 North Blackwelder. It's the only address of any church that I remember. I don't know why. But it is in the heart of the homeless community in, in Oklahoma City. Uh, we had um, people sleeping on our porch. We had drug paraphernalia all over the place. Um, there's shootings that happen all the time in that area. And I thought, oh my gosh, I will never be in a more dangerous place than this. <clears throat> Corpus Christi's in a worse neighborhood. But I got to learn Spanish that summer <laughs> because soy gringo. I am a gringo. I, I grew up, English was the only language I learned. In fact, the first language that, I tried to, that they tried to teach me in school was German because we lived in Germany when this happened. It's in there somewhere. The only time German comes out is when I'm trying to speak Spanish. It was like, oh, so that's how the brain works. They're all in the same factory. Well, how do we switch between different doors at the same factory? I don't know. But when I went to Germany, I couldn't help but try and speak Spanish. It's like, oh, yeah, see, see. Uh, Donde está el baño? Um, Vo bis uh, bathroom, water closet, whatever you call it here. But that was part of the struggle is that I didn't understand that. And so we go through our lives of faith trying to do the best that we can with what God has given to us. Today's gospel was the gospel of the talents, but it was Luke's version where he talks about the gold coin. What gold coins or talents has God given to us in our lives? Are we like the first two servants who, when given the talent, replicate them and multiply them, the first one ten times, the second time five, person five times, or are we like the third servant that takes those talents, that gold, those gifts that God gives us, and we either bury them or hold on to them and do nothing to multiply them? Well, obviously we want to be like the first two. I mean, that's pretty obvious in the gospel. The question, though, is how often do we think about the blessings that God has given to us? I am a raging pessimist by nature. I've always been a pessimist. I, I'm slowly converting to pessimism, <laughs> kind of a joint between the two where I try and be optimistic, but man, I'm so pessimistic it's not going to work out. But I try in that. It's like an extrovert trying to become an introvert or an introvert trying to become an extrovert. It's, it's, it's against our nature, but that doesn't mean we can't try and exist in that other world. So how do we then as members of the community of faith, see our individual blessings, but also the blessings that flow from our community and not fall into temptation. My struggle growing up, when I saw the communal blessings, I went pessimistic with it. Well, God, if you really loved me, why'd you give them that blessing? Why didn't you give me that blessing? Also known as envy and jealousy that these things come very close to each other because they are opposites. But as we know, opposites aren't as far away from each other as, they, as you think they are. The far left and the far right are a whole lot closer to each other than they are to the middle because they're extreme. I'm not talking politics, I'm talking about just in general. When we talk about a circle, the far left and the far right <laughs> join each other on the other side from the middle. If you think about it in a circle form. And so how do we recognize the blessings God has given to us? Well, first of all, it takes reflection, sitting in silence, 
allowing the Lord to open up to us the ways that we have, in fact, been blessed. And if you can't think of one, your challenge is what's called a compliment sandwich. It's one of the things I learned in therapy in seminary. Every time you think something negative about yourself, you have to force yourself to think two positive things about yourself. I worked out of that real quick because I didn't want to think about the positives because it took too long sometimes to add new positives, new positives, new positives. One of the things that I brought to our youth last summer, unintentionally, but intentionally, was at the end of the retreat that we had. We had uh, that week-long mission trip we had here at the parish that we hosted. We did something called a Thanksgiving round. We stood in a circle, and everybody had to say something they were thankful for. Of the mission trip we had, I think we had 15 kids, 10, excuse me, 10 of them said that was their favorite part of the mission trip was when everybody got to say what they were thankful for. So much so that it carried over to church camp last summer and this summer. So much so that many of our teachers are using it in class now to get our young people to recognize the everyday blessings that are in their lives. Many of them say family and friends because it's the cop-out and you got to start somewhere. But at the same time, Good, I'm glad that you are thankful for your family and friends. Some of them wax poetic because that's just what they do. Some of them are really kind of thinking about, no, I'm really thankful that I got this opportunity because if I didn't, I may be with my friends who are doing things they shouldn't be doing. It's like, all right. It's like golf clap, yeah, I like that. But that's how we start these things. We start them small, and then they grow, and they go grow. The same way as that one gold talent could be multiplied times five, or times 10. That's the whole work of evangelization in the discipleship process. It's not about preaching to the masses, but it's about accompanying one or two other people, and then they accompany one or two other people. It's addition by multiplication. I struggle with that as a priest because I'm responsible for all of your souls. If I lead one of you astray and you end up in hell because of something I have taught or that I have not taught against, that goes against my eternity and my soul. That's terrifying for me as a pastor. That's why sometimes I speak the hard truths, because if if I've at least said it, this is going to sound really selfish, if I've at least said the truth, it won't be held against me when other people don't follow it. But I still pray that when I say people will follow. Not because of me, but because of you. I don't want anyone in our parish, even the people that push my buttons, even the people whose buttons I push, to end up in hell. I don't want any of our parishioners to have a bad day. Even if you're pissing me off, I don't want you to have a bad day. I will pray that you have a great day and that my piss-offedness makes up for your great day. And your great day makes up for my piss-offedness. I know that's not a word, but it works. Everything that I'm called to do is not just because I'm the shepherd, but it's because I'm a member of the faithful, as are you. So how do we allow ourselves to grow as members of the faith? 
The relationships that are crucial in the life of faith are those between believers and those that faith calls them to care for. Well, who does the faith call us to care for? Everyone. And so every relationship that we have, good, bad, and different, is an opportunity for us to share the faith when necessary to speak on it. One of the big signs that I found in my youth that I didn't realize was a big thing was smiling. We don't have enough people that smile these days. We've got a lot of people with resting faces that aren't happy faces. But also, opening the door for someone. One of the things I always did in seminary, because I like to do it, was I'd be the first one out because I want to get out of whatever crowd we were in. And I'd go down and hold the door open until the last person came through. Sometimes 150, 160 people coming through. So I was the first one there and the last one out. Why? Because I got to be a ministry of presence. I got to wish everybody a good day. Parishioners have gotten upset with me that I don't go first in line for food. I'm not going to go first in line for food. It was something that was ingrained in me as, as an adolescent that I think is important as a leader to remind myself I am not the most important person in the room. I'm not. God always is. And so is the community of faith. I'm here to serve, not to be served. And so I will always, which really gets under some people's skin, always go last. Part of it is because I want to make sure there's enough food. Part of it is the fat kid inside of me, ha, 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 I get seconds and thirds (laughs) with my firsts. More of it is I'm a talker. And when I eat, I don't like to talk. So if I go first to eat, I don't want to talk to anybody while I'm eating because then my food gets cold all the time, all the time. So if I can talk to people and see how their meals are going and then go get my meal and eat, I'm happy. Most people are happy except for those that want me to go first. And so learning those different skills about ourselves and about each other helps us to realize God is trying to show me something in my life, and it's ultimately that he loves you, but also that you are part of the body of Christ. You aren't the body of Christ. It takes all of us as that community to form that body. Any questions about the faith virtue that we've been talking about the last three weeks? When we come back in December, we will then move over to whatever's next in the book. I believe it's hope. <clears throat> Let us end in prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God, we give praise and thanksgiving to you for every blessing that you've given to us today and every day of our lives, especially those that we don't understand, those that we don't witness to, those that we don't appreciate. We thank you for the gift of faith, for the gift of the community of faith that you have blessed us with here in western Oklahoma and all the other communities of faith that we are parts of in our lives, in our pasts, in our presence, in our future. We pray that you may go with us from here, keep us safe until we return here to give glory and praise to you at the epitome of our faith, which is your Son present in the Eucharist, the source and summit of our faith. We thank you for all of these blessings, and through your mother's intercession, we give you praise and thanksgiving as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. 
Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Happy Thanksgiving. We'll see you guys this weekend.